This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That? Where I, Neil Delamere, and he, Dave Moore, will try and tell each other something very interesting, fascinating that we've collected on our travels. And by travels, I mean the internet. <laughs> Always the internet. Always uh, internet. We don't leave the room specifically. Dave Moore, it is your turn today, and you're going to wow me with something. Oh, yeah. Wow, you absolutely. First of all, speaking of internet, uh, make sure you follow Neil Delamere at Neil Delamere Comedy on Instagram. I'm at Dave Today FM, and the show is at Why Would You Tell Me That? The thing I'm going to wow you with today is filthy. Like, <laughs> uh, that, okay, hold on. That could mean about 12 different things because you are into your sneakers. So that could be some word like sick and gnarly. And, <laughs> or it, does it actually mean filthy? Yeah, in this case, it actually does mean filthy. Um, filthy can be used to describe cool things. There's no doubt about it. But no, in this case, uh, we're going to talk in part two. I'm going to make a bold claim. Okay. I'm going to make a bold claim now that in part two, I'm going to show you how we can solve the problem of pollution in the world's most polluted capital city with mushrooms. Okay. I mean, as as claims go, that's a big one. The first <laughs> thing that would jump to my mind is, are we just taking the mushrooms and forgetting about the pollution? <laughs> is that the idea? Like that is- sitting there and go, look at the colours. <laughs> the evening smog makes them even more orangey. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's not that. It's not that. It, it, this is a genuine thing. Yeah, there is a method being trialed to target very specifically the the type of pollution that affects this capital city, which we will get to in part two. Uh, but you. there's a there's a solution being trialed, and apparently it works really well, which is based on mushrooms. But again, I don't want to give too much away now. I am I'm there for this. I'll let our expert uh, talk to us in part two and wow us. But I do want to talk about pollution. There's lots of different types of pollution, right? So air pollution is specifically what we're talking about in, in, in part two. But plastic pollution in the oceans, there is radiation pollution from formerly radioactive things, currently radioactive things, radioactive plants, all these kinds of things that happen. There is visual pollution which is what I have to go through to do this podcast, staring at this, <laughs> this face in front of me, this gormless, awfully face. Why don't you just, oh, oh, I thought it had just gone onto your screensaver and you could see your own reflection. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought you didn't realize you were having a dig at me. Go on. So visual pollution is what, a graffiti? Is it? Uh, no, I quite yeah, like well, graffiti. I suppose, yeah, some graffiti can be good. No, but it would be things like, for example, if you ever looked, if you were trying to take a photo of a, an urban street. Street furniture. Yeah, so things like, the cabling that goes across between buildings. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I use those apps on my phone that can remove objects from photos. So I'll often take a picture and go, oh, that lamppost is wrecking it. And just you just literally swipe up the lamppost and it goes, bing. No, no, I, I was never in the KGB, Dave. So I, I would go for a picture that accurately reflects what's in front of me rather than some sort of 
<laughs> Lampos is now out of favor, and then it gets destroyed. <laughs> it did not back me in coup. Bye bye, Lampos. Um, okay, obviously things like litter, water pollution. In fact, thermal pollution is actually something I've been learning about, uh, which is to do with the increase or decrease of water temperature. This happens a lot where there are nuclear power plants that use that are water cooled, or power plants in general that are water cooled. They tend to take water into the power plant cool whatever they need to cool and then the heated water that has done its job of cooling gets pumped out into a river or whatever and that change in temperature can have devastating effects on the balance of the river the the wildlife that lives in and around the river and stuff and so but i always assumed that thermal pollution was just like the heating of the earth but in fact it's mostly to do with water and also cooling uh, which is part of the thermal process so it's not just heating up it's also cooling down you know the radioactive um, uh, pollutants you're talking about mm. um I've always thought um, if you're working in the medical industry, sometimes you forget what what is commonplace to you is remarkable to us if you're a nurse mm. or a doctor, which I, I, I should I should say healthcare, not the medical industry. But sure. um, I got to, I ever tell you, I got to, my granny was getting a test and I got to her in the hospital kind of late. And as I got in, the nurse said to me, now your granny will be radioactive for about six hours. Do you have any questions? I was like, yes, I've got, I've got one or two questions. All right. Will she glow in the dark? It's going to scare the hell out of granddad. Like he's lying in the bed and she walks in like E.T.'s finger. just (laughs) Or like, do you remember when uh, Monty Burns got radioactive and he came out of the forest and the Simpsons going, we bring you love. (laughs) He was ready brecked all around them. Yeah. What's going to happen? And I was like, I didn't know what to do. And I said, I better phone my dad. And she's like, well, you can't use a mobile phone in here. I was like, you just weaponized a pensioner. (laughs) I can't turn on my phone. I'm not sure if that's that's the thing that's going to set the radioactive level just to that point that is unsafe. Uh, or maybe, maybe this was the case of where your granny did become some kind of superhero. superhero. I mean, like that's a, ra- a story worth telling, I think. Like she's just good like that. Whew, and a lace doily will fly over wrists like... Spider-Man, like a radioactive grandmother. He's landing perfectly on the uh, on the table in exactly the right place just yeah. before the plate goes down. Yeah, yeah, and then some biscuits, some Garibaldi biscuits and a pot of tea just appear from nowhere. <laughs> I like the way we automatically assumed that your radioactive granny was going to be a good superhero as opposed to the potential of her being a villain. Oh no no! I was uh, I was assuming that the tea would lure people in, and then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and then she just hit them. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other types of pollution, then, that I think we should focus on. One of them is actually very interesting: is light pollution. We all know the theory of light pollution, which is in urban areas there's so much artificial light to to show us where we're going and to keep us safe in the dark and all that kind of stuff. That it means that, for example, we can't see the night sky in the ways that you can in in darker areas. But interestingly, what I found out about light pollution is a lot of it is wasted light. So if you think about it, when you fly over, you know, or you see even a satellite image of Earth and you see the cities and they're lit up, whatever, the main reason you can see that is because the light is being really poorly managed in the sense that a lot of it is just disappearing upwards. And we don't need to light upwards. We only need to light downwards if you think about where the lights are they're up on the top of the posts they're supposed to point down and it's actually more efficient if you enclose them in such a way that no light goes up and light goes down it's a waste of a huge amount of energy obviously and it's causing pollution and it it, there's actually something called sky glow which isn't the name of a new coldplay song Um, (laughs) oh it should be though it should be shouldn't it it's a great name for a song in fairness or or a hippie's child (laughs) sky glow or (laughs) (laughs) or is what you went with there that's yeah it always amazes me when people particularly in ireland do choose a very strange or uh, uncommon i should say an uncommon name for their child followed by you know, the most Irish surname. You- that, is, <laughs> that is Skyglow then. So Skyglow is when the light that is coming out, instead of pointing down, kind of hits the horizon and can affect a pilot's ability to see certain things coming in at certain heights. On that, Obviously, it affects nature. It affects animals. It affects birds. It affects other insects and, and things that are drawn by light. And actually, there's an amazing thing about moths. You know the way we all know the, the phrase moth to a flame and we yeah. all see a moth flying into a a light or whatever. The thing that's happening with moths is actually really interesting. It's called transverse orientation. Okay. Which is a nice 
phrase. But what it means is the moth effectively uses moonlight, because moths are nocturnal. They use moonlight to tell them effectively which way is up. They know where the moon is, and they're like, this is where I should be. But artificial light has kind of accelerated beyond the evolutionary ability of the moths to cope with it. Right. So the reason that they are basically flying into our lamps and our porch lights, whatever, is the poor moths think it's the moon. And not only do they think it's the moon, but they think they're they're getting to the moon. So what we've done is we've created a fake space race <laughs> among the moths of the world who are like, <laughs> like they get out in the evening, they're kind of wake up and they're like, oh, I'm starving and I'm probably supposed to mate today because I only live for a few days. I am going to, oh, I'm going to, uh, no, forget food, forget reproduction. I'm going to, lads, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get to the moon. I'm going <laughs> to, clink, they just bang into your porch light and you go, oh, you poor fellas. Look, oh, the bus gets so excited when, like, the moon actually comes into range in their own head. And it must be very mo- difficult if all the moths get together and one of them has an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and all the other moths just fly into the bulb above the moth's head. So they're all, they're, they're all trying to get to the moon. Effectively, yeah. I mean, they're, the poor fellas, wow. they, they, don't, they don't. Idiots. They don't, yeah, that's the they're thing. They're just idiots. They're evolutionarily, which is a strange word to say, challenged by our progress uh, we yeah. are directly affected but in fairness so are we so yeah i did see a couple of things about moths i know to digress slightly but just was very interesting uh, in the amazon there are moths that drink the tears of sleeping birds oh mm. um mm. i mean why are the birds having such bad times that they're crying <laughs> at night i don't know <laughs> crying oh. in their sleep and then what the moths have done is the moths have a, a word which is used in the insect world, which is a terrible word. It's called proboscis. Yes. No, that's not a good word. No, I know what it is. So. Yeah, proboscis is basically the long tongue. tongue-like extension out of an insect that contains the tongue within it that, for example, it can use to, you know, get some nectar or whatever yeah. it needs to do. However, in this case, the moth doesn't want to wake the bird up because obviously if the moth wakes the bird, and yeah. the bird's going to fly away. Or With the precious the tears. Use the precious tears, which yeah. must sustain the moth. So the moth stays kind of on the bird's neck, far enough away from its front face that it isn't going to wake it. Its proboscis then makes a little journey around oh. to the edge of its eye, and then it begins to sup on the tears <laughs> of the sleeping avian. And it and it is sustained. <laughs> now, I know this is probably out of order for the episodes that we want to put out, but you're in no position to slag off the proboscis of <laughs> of this moth. Okay, so I'm seeing I've I've got a plan for a moth. Right, so that if I was a moth, I would keep another. moth. <laughs> this is dark. I would keep okay. another moth. I would keep another moth prisoner, right? Oh wow! And I give him ideas, and every time he had an idea, the bulb would appear above his head, and I'd fly into the bulb. But then every so often, I give him a head injury, and then the little birds would fly around his head, and I drink their tears. That's that's what my plan would be. <laughs> Sorry, is everything in your life part of a Tom and Jerry cartoon? Tom and Jerry, and then I get a pan and hit a big dog in the face. No, I wouldn't do that. Um, that is like I. I think it's amazing, first of all. Mm. I also think, how in the name of God did that moth evolve specifically to do that? Like, or moths are sometimes hanging around with birds. Somebody puts on the notebook. (laughs) (laughs) One of the birds loses their mind, starts crying. The moth probably originally wants to be, wants to be helpful. I'd oh, imagine. I'd, ima- I'd imagine. Does anybody have a handkerchief? No. no. Let me just get that for you. <laughs> <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> well, of course. Well, of course the, real... the next step between handkerchief and no handkerchief <laughs> and is no to lick your tears. Uh, of course. We've all done it in the cinema on the first day. Are you crying? <laughs> uh, no, the real reason, of course, is that, that like all creatures, moths need salts and proteins. And yeah. it's, you know, th- this is just a ready, readily available source in the Amazon are the birds whose tears um, they consume. There is something even more terrifying than this. That's which pretty is, terrifying. Yeah, but how about the Siberian vampire moth, Okay, which has evolved from fruit-eating to blood-sucking. Right. Um, now, interestingly, there is no benefit to the male moth that now has the capability to do this, to drinking blood. 
No, nothing will make it live longer. Nothing will make it have a better life because obviously moths' lives are quite short anyway. It is assumed that the reason that the moth has become av- uh, able to suck blood is because it offers the blood to the female yeah. in a sexual gift, which is also a good name for a song. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, but it's, not, it's not a Coldplay song. song. No, it's not. But basically, yeah, the idea is that um, it does not need to prolong the, the male's life. So what it does is it is having more protein and salts and uh, more richness within it. Yeah. So that when it propagates its species, yeah. it is delivering to the female the sexual gift of all of these things that it has consumed. How does he present this sexual gift to the female? I would imagine in a box with a bow. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, the, it's... The, the pharmacist has wrapped it um, <laughs> as he as he exited the building. Yeah, you've you've gone to the trouble of getting the blood. You might as well present it. Yeah. But like, does does he 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 drinks the blood? Yeah, look again. I am no moth. In fact, I think we should do an episode on moths in one in a later series because they are fascinating creatures. Uh, so I actually don't know whether the moth. You said the word sexual gift and got distracted, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I That's did. What I, here. I just started thinking about all the things I haven't bought my wife. I'm like, I really need to go to the farm. Because that's the place you go get sexual gifts, right? <laughs> and, and the butchers, but it sounds things. Um, I know one pollution fact. Okay. Only because it was in the papers uh, in in the last couple of weeks. Uh, noise pollution. Yeah. Have you seen the one about Dublin Airport? 13,000 complaints, noise complaints, went to Dublin Airport in 2021. Roughly mm. 13,000, okay? 12,000 of those came from one person. 12,000. Thousand, <laughs> well over twelve thousand. Oh my god! So I think the most prevalent noise in Dublin Airport is your man <laughs> ringing Dublin Airport. <laughs> sure, surely for like you know the six thousand time when they don't sort out the problem that you're specifically wanting to address, you let it go. Like is he sitting at home going, "No, this is the one. No, no, this oh is the one. Six thousand and one. This is this is the one." And then he rings them. Like, does this number come up? I have so many questions about this. And they're in the airport going, oh, God, it's Dave again. Ah. I'd like we to answer it? myself from this. We could say we couldn't hear the phone. Ah, that'll wreck <laughs> his head. I assume they have this polite conversation with a person because they have to take the call and go, yeah. yes, we'll do our best to address the noise. And he's like, well, you know, sort it out. You know, have you considered moving? No, I can't afford it. Why can't you afford it? Because my phone bill's 25 grand a year. <laughs> and how but, yeah. many phone calls a day are you making? 34. Get- 34 phone calls a day. It's up to 59 this year, this year apparently. Oh, my A day. God. That is that is worse pollution than anything that the airplanes are doing as they jet people <laughs> off on their holidays. Well, actually, there's a couple of interesting things about noise pollution that I thought I'd share with you today. A 10 decibel increase, to, so it's a tenfold increase in pressure. So it's the it's the pressure oh. on your eardrum that the, 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 the noise creates. A 20 decibel increase is a 100-fold increase in pressure. And wow. a 30 decibel increase is a 1,000-fold increase. So it is exponential. And so I've worked in audio for 25 yeah. years. And I always just thought, like, you know, one more decibel was just one. But it isn't. It's literally a, 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 a multiplier effect. So it just gets hu- really huge. And um, I'll give you an example of a couple of things. When you're in a library and it's yeah. very quiet. Yeah. And you walk up to the librarian and you say, excuse me, have you got any books on paranoia? And he or she says, yes, they're behind you. <laughs> Sorry, I had to squeeze one bad joke in, I'm sorry. Who told you we have those books? (laughs) But that ambient level that you get of, I suppose, air conditioning, pages turning, the odd chair being moved across quite a nice carpet or whatever, that's 35 decibels. Oh, okay. okay. So there's there's enough volume in it, but it's not, you know, it's not very loud. If you were inside an underground train, like a subway train or whatever, then the ambient, like the constant kind of track noise and the wind noise of the tunnels or whatever that's going to be about 85 decibels okay yeah sometimes on the tube you can't hear what's coming through your headphones so okay that's 85 85 yeah a slipknot gig i'm a huge heavy metal fan i wear ear protectors of these little in-ear frequency cancellers in my ears because i'm a bit older now and smarter but also i really need to like just be able to hear all the music perfectly but that will be about 110 decibels 110? Yeah, it is 
properly, properly loud. But nothing can compare to the loudest sound on Earth, which regularly measures a staggering 140 decibels. It can be heard from three miles away, and that is the sound of foreign students on a bus. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not. No. Truthfully, what it is, is it's the howler monkey. Okay. So there are things that were louder than the howler monkey. Like, but yeah. on, a, on a regular kind of day on earth, yeah. the thing that makes the most noise is the howler monkey. Now, let's have a listen to a howler monkey. Okay. That's isn't that a, like that that's their morning call. How how big is that thing? They're monkeys, they're not they're not even ape sized, but they have they've actually developed a th- uh, no, I could get this wrong now, someone could correct me, but I think they've they've developed something within their jaws and their larynx that allows them to make this noise and obviously not harm their vocal cords because they wouldn't be able to do it the following morning or whatever. But they did remind me of one of my favorite metal bands called Blunt Force Trauma. <laughs> and I want you to listen to a song, Neil, and everyone else called Vengeance for Nothing. Listen to this. What do you think of that? Is not that song shouldn't be called Vengeance for Nothing. That should have been called Sexual Gift. <laughs> they so they have they have trained a howler monkey to be their lead singer. That is incredible. The stuff that you showed me today. I mean, you've blown my mind. Well, here's the thing, right? What's the we point s- of the howler monkey doing that? By the way, is it a mating thing or? Is it, it- well, yeah, no, it's communication in general, so it can be mating, okay. thing, but it can also be a territorial thing where they're they're kind of letting other. Howler of monkeys. monkeys no, this is our gaff. Don't be coming yeah. over here or there'll be trouble or whatever. So there's a lot of reasons for the communication. But metal, heavy metal gets a bad rep. Look, let's face it. It is loud music. It is music that on the surface to people who maybe don't understand the music just appears like a cacophony of horrible sounds and whatever. Yes. But here's the thing. My children have been raised on so much heavy metal. So I made a point because you know when you bring your kids home first, you know, the idea is like, shh, let them have their nap. It's nap time. Shh, it's time for them to get their seat, whatever. I was like, we decided we're never going to be that family because it, there was going to be so many of us and it's going to be so we have a dog and whatever. We're like, yeah. let's just let the kids sleep through the noise. And they, they do, they learn. But one of the noises that they're so exposed to from when they were born is thrash metal, speed metal, <laughs> death metal. So now, and this is God's honest truth. One of my daughters, I have twin daughters who are seven. One of them will come downstairs and she will say to me, Daddy, I can't sleep. Can you please play heavy metal as loud as you can? And what I do is I turn the telly up to 50. I plug in my guitar amp and I play along and she conks out. Absolutely <laughs> conks out. And it's going, I suppose it's going from the front room up she her room is above the front room yeah. so she's not even listening to it in her room like that wouldn't work but it's the kind of the i don't know the vibrationary reaction that's happening when i'm thrashing out this is a charming a. a charming story until Tusla take your children away from you <laughs> <laughs> until they turn up with the sirens and go yeah we're going to take the kids that took a uh, slasher as their confirmation name yeah <laughs> Body of Christ. <laughs> I know what it is. That's actually pretty good. You can you can stand in for uh, for blood force trauma. That's incredible. Yeah, and the loudest thing ever recorded. Now it's not the loudest thing that's ever happened, but the loudest thing we've ever recorded uh, is Krakatoa's eruption. How is that recorded? And I would have thought that recorded. I suppose in the sense that it was documented. In okay, the people yeah. Went. Yeah. It was heard this far away or whatever. Right. In which? Yes. Yeah. So they estimate three hundred and ten decibels. Was the loudest thing that we, look? We obviously, I would say, the impact of the dinosaur killing meteor may have been loud, but we've no way of, of of ever recording that. So Krakatoa is the loudest thing we know, which is like being at two Slipknot gigs at the same time, while a crash of sugar rushed toddlers screamed that they want ice cream. If you ever want to recreate Krakatoa, that's that's how you do it. Wow! Yeah, yeah. I didn't know pollution could be so fascinating. You have you have made it so, and you're not even our expert, because a lot of it is depre- like the plastic stuff is depressing. Totally, and and there are, thankfully there are great minds working on ways to not only eradicate plastic pollution but to turn plastic pollution into 
something else, something better. In fact, some of the stuff that we'll talk about in, in part two with our experts, I think is going to lead us down a hopeful path rather than this kind of yeah. you know, feeling of, of hopelessness that tends to happen when you have these conversations about Cause, pollution. Because I basically find in microplastics, first they found microplastics, I think, in human waste. Then mm. they found it in human bloodstream. And the latest one is they found in human lungs. They found microplastics in human lung tissue. We are evolving into kinder surprises, essentially. <laughs> Basically, it's Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, Homo happy meal. That's where we are. We have plastic inside our bodies, and it really puts me off using my dildo. <laughs> What's the point if it's already there, Dave? What's the point giving yourself a sexual gift? Well, the plastic, where well, you're self-assembling your own dildo in, in your lung tissue. Of all of the places to put it, I would, I would not recommend that. Uh, well, I had more things, but I think we're just going to leave it there, to be honest with you, because I don't even think we're going to do part two. I'm not sure I can hope. No, no, I'll tell you what, coming up in part two, we're going to be joined by somebody who is an expert on pollution, an expert on the most polluted capital city in the world. Her name is Kamala Thiagarajan. She is a journalist based in New Delhi. Ah. And we're going to talk to her in part. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Two. Okay, so welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? This is part two, and we're joined by Kamala Thiagarajan. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you, Dave and Neil. Pleasure to be here. And great to have you. So I've told Neil, again, one of my grand claims that I make in part one of these podcasts, where I said we're going to speak about the most polluted capital city on earth, mm -hmm. which is not a title I'm sure any capital city wants, <laughs> but how there may well be a solution that involves mushrooms. <laughs> Do you think that's an accurate claim? Um, it doesn't involve mushrooms, <laughs> but it does involve <laughs> fungi. So pretty yeah, close, see. yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, what I like to do is I like to kind of bend the truth a little bit to make it sound more, you know, more crazy. But it is fungi rather than mushrooms. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We, what we don't want is to insult the mycologists uh, of the world who will just turn up to your house, Dave, <laughs> and get you for confusing mushrooms and fungi. Of course, of course. So are, are we talking about New Delhi? That's right. And is that where you live, Kamala? Um, no, that's not where I live. I live down south. One in Tamil Nadu, which is a southern Indian state, and uh, New Delhi is the capital of India, so it's a okay. capital region. 
What is life like there on a daily basis, just in, in a general sense? I mean, obviously, I'm talking about in terms of pollution and, and, and the topic we're talking about today, not just life in general. Right. Um, I've interviewed a lot of residents who live in Delhi. And on a daily basis, life is kind of hard. Um, you know, they have to contend with a great deal of pollution. And uh, pollution has been this long-standing problem in the city and in, the, in, this, in this area that we call um, the National Capital Region, which is about like five cities around in and around Delhi, about 20 districts around that area. And um, if, you, if you ask any of them how it feels like, they tell you that every day they get used to like going out and seeing this haze across the city. And it's, it's pretty common. Um, and it's there on a daily basis. It's not just when traffic is bad. No, that's one of the things. That, and in, in looking into this, I did find some statistics that were kind of terrifying. I mean, obviously, number one is that New Delhi is the most polluted capital city on earth. But the 20 of the 30 most polluted cities are all in India. That's right. Is it the kind of the industrialization of India that is contributing majorly to this? Oh, it's absolutely um, India's industrial growth that is contributing to it. But that's not the only re reason why. You know, I think um, pollution over the last decade or so has been like this wound that has festered. And that is because we have a lot of industrial emissions, especially around this area. It's because we have a lot of cars, you know, um, it, as India, India industrializes, it, as it gets more urbanized, um, you know, we do have a lot more cars flying the streets. It's also that we have a lot of very old cars as well, yeah. still in use. So um, it's a number of factors. And especially for Delhi, there's another reason that is quite unusual. Um, we do have uh, a lot of brick kilns, you know, these oh. hand-molded bricks. And they are fired in these rudimentary kilns. Um, and these kilns are powered by coal. Yeah. So which is like the messiest form of, of energy that you can kind of get. So it's I think it's a contribution of all of these factors that have created the situation we're in right now. So have things been tried like in that have been tried in other very polluted cities like, you know, only allowing cars with even number plates in one day and odd number plates in the other day or um, no car driving on a Sunday, which I think happened during the oil crisis in the 70s in Europe. Have those sorts of measures been enacted or tried? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, you know, in 2015, India's Green Tribunal came down heavily on, on politicians and um, on state governments, and central government, and they said, you have to do something about this. And so they started um, taking these measures to address these issues. So they do have the even odd license plate situation. So if your last digit of your license plate is an even number, you can drive your car on certain days of the week and it would be only alternate days. And if it's an, if it's an odd number, you can drive your car on the other days of the week and you can't drive on Sundays. So this is, uh, this is a system that the city has adopted. Um, but um, I'm not sure if it's making any major dent to yeah. pollution. Yeah. I think that seems to be the issue in a, in a lot mm -hmm. of cities where they try these kind of things is that it, it, every small change makes a small difference, but it's a combination right. of all of these things you need to do to make the big difference. One of the other stats, and, and again, uh, this was kind of an anecdotal thing rather than something that was proven, but somebody said that everybody in New Delhi effectively smokes 20 cigarettes a day, even if they don't smoke. That's right. Even children then, so newborn children who are exposed to this will also deal with that. Absolutely. It's, it's a very scary situation. You know, I have friends who say that on any given day, they have headaches. They have to contend with these pollution-induced headaches um, and migraines. Um, that they go out and they have someone in their family who has asthma. Someone in their family has breathing difficulties. Uh, it could be even little children. And especially during the winter months, this pollution, the regular pollution that exists, it just peaks during these months. It's like pollution on steroid once October starts. And tell us why that is, because I really want yeah. to explore the kind of seasonal nature of, of this pollution and why at certain times of the day or certain times of the year, it does become worse. So 10 years ago, farmers started cultivating rice in um, the beginning of April, the first week. That's when the, the typical rice cultivating season began. And it was harvested in early September. Now, these farmers also 
produce wheat. So rice and wheat are two of the major crops in India. So they start uh, producing wheat around 20th November, you know. And um, earlier they had enough time to manually clear their fields because when you start sowing rice and then you harvest it, you leave the fields, rice fields, studded with stalks. Okay, so it so has the, to like be like the stubble that's left. That's right. You, okay, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. right. So it has to be completely cleared before you can plant another crop. So the the same field is used to grow rice at one point of the year, and, and then, then wheat. wheat, and then that's okay. right. That's, that's right. Pr- and you need to clear the stubble to to prepare it for the wheat harvest. That's right, okay. exactly. Gotcha. And so what happened was that rice is a crop that requires a lot of groundwater, so you need a lot of. Uh, water to get it to grow well and to get the yield to be good. So what happened is that um, when we started having hotter summers over the years, this groundwater started depleting and they didn't have enough to cultivate rice comfortably. And so the government decided that they would shift the rice cultivating season from the beginning of April to around mid-June. Oh, is this a wetter point of the year? Yes, that's right. That's when we get our monsoons. And so um, they thought that the groundwater wouldn't be a problem then because it would be uh, any depleted water would be replenished by the rains. And so we could easily cultivate rice in this time of year without suffering so much. But that decision had its consequences, as we see now. Um, it pushed the uh, the time that the farmers had to, you know, they, they sow the seeds. And then when they harvested, it pushed it by about a couple of months. Mm. And right, so what happened is they now have only this two or three week window in which to harvest the rice and then clear their fields and then start planting the wheat. And if they don't plant the wheat by November 20th, what happens is that they start losing money and uh, the yield is reduced. Yield is greatly reduced. So this is then why they began to burn the, the fields in order to because burning the fields quickly just gets rid of the stalks and prepares the soil for the the, the preparation so, of the wheat so did they do it by hand before this when they had l- longer times and well hand and and some degree of machinery but not burning yes that's right so by 1980 before 1983 not too many farms in india used mechanized equipment so once we started using mechanized equipment to sow seeds um you know to do other farming procedures uh you know, that's that's when the problem came about. So the, the, the problem of the stubble came after 1983 gotcha. when we became more mechanized. The burning is obviously not, again, like we said, when they make the small efforts to use your number plate to get you to make, it makes a small difference. The burning isn't a small contributing factor to the, the pollution level. This is a huge contributing factor because you said like the surrounding areas, like there's a lot of, of rice harvesting happening in those areas. That's right. That's right. It's a huge factor. It almost adds to 10% of the pollution of, of Delhi and surrounding areas at this time of year. And you can imagine in an already very bad situation, um, it adds a huge deal of pollution. Begs the question, Dave. I mean, I'm going to ask the question. I know you want to ask it, but can I ask the question? Please, go ahead. Where in the name of all that's good and holy do fungi help with farmers <laughs> burning fields is it something to do with you put fungi in the fields and it takes out the scrub no 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 you get you give the farmers athlete's foot and then right. they can't go and burn the thing right then, oh, that's right isn't it Kamala? i think you, that's what it is yeah. you're in the pocket of big caniston dave that's what <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> that sounds like science fiction <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome <laughs> that's next that's the next episode <laughs> Uh, okay, no, Kamala, t- tell me what exactly is going to happen. So, um, you know, uh, we have like about seventy to 80,000 species, distinct species of soil fungi around the world. Wow. That's how much of fungi that is naturally present in our soil that we've identified. And in India, we have about 14,500 distinct species of soil fungi and uh soil fungi plays a huge role in you know um, in many processes for instance there is this area next to the root of a plant called the rhizosphere and 20 to 30 percent of the rhizosphere is populated by soil fungi different species and that helps the biochemical processes in the plant that helps the plant grow it helps it thrive and so what these scientists have done now in india is that they have they've extracted um some of the naturally present 
fungi from the soil and they've run it through labs and they've kind of seen what would decompose this stubble the fastest. Okay. Which fungi wow. would work? Which combination would work um, to accelerate the decomposition of the stubble? So that, you know, when you spray it on the soil, everything decomposes, it becomes much. So that's what they've done now. Okay, so there, uh, is there a certain kind of, as you said, combination of these fungi that that works? Is there a number that is? You know, yes, that's right. Thing? There is a number. There's they've used about seven fungi in this seven, microbial okay. wash, and um, it's called a microbial wash. So it's it's actually in powder form, and the farmers add about five liters of. of water to it and then they spray it over their fields earlier it was available as capsules and in addition to the water they also had to add a certain amount of chickpea flour as protein they had oh to i read about this yeah and, and jaggery then, as, a, yeah. as a sugar source right and so that the, then there was a, a kind of a the likelihood was then that farmer a his concoction would be different than farmer B, therefore yielding different results. And then farmer A would be convinced it works and farmer B would go, that didn't work for me. So that by now making powder form and just adding water, you've kind of eliminated the the unpredictability of the solution. Absolutely. You know, it was really crazy earlier and, um, you know, we didn't know where it worked and where it didn't. And, gotcha. and now it's it's now it's more mechanized. So, you know, we use machineries to spray this particular solution. Is it provided by the either the national or state government? Because it strikes me that obviously burning is free, uh, whereas, <laughs> you know, you have to pay for this. So is there any sort of resistance from the farmers to use this? And have you gotten around that by saying, listen, try it, it's for nothing? That's right. Um, it's being provided free by the government now, by the Indian Agricultural Research Institution. Um, the thing is that uh, the farmers still pay a nominal amount um, for the spraying services. So I think this is like a combination of, of the government seeking out a private company to offer these uh, spraying services, to offer this. And, and you know, eventually the farmer will be paying for the microbial spray as well, but uh, only a nominal amount, it will be subsidized. Um, for now, it's just, it's just in its first season, right? So they just want it to catch on a little. Yeah, it sounds to me like the burning of the of the rice paddy fields isn't something that's a historical thing that's gone on for generations. It was only because of the shift. So it's a recent enough trend, a very effective trend, I'm sure. But then the knock on effect is so negative. Do you think the farmers are open minded to finding a better solution because it's such a recent addition anyway? Well, I think that... Um... The first emotion among the farmers was the first kind of reaction um, among the farming community. It's anxiety, you know, would this work? Would this really work? And do I trust this enough to kind of like put my family's well-being on the line right now and to try this new method? And mm. what if it doesn't work? What do I do? You know, so that was that was the kind of thoughts that went through their mind. But I think now um, a lot more people are convinced. Um, they're kind of actually really surprised by it, how well it worked and how easy it was. Because, you know, one farmer told me that, you know, he, we don't enjoy burning our fields. Yeah, it's really yeah. horrible to do that, even for us to be inhaled with fumes. It's not something that we do because we're stubborn about it or because we just want to do it in this one particular way. It's just that we have no choice. Presumably, there'll be a knock-on effect. We saw how those bushfires killed so many uh, animals. I think it was something like a billion animals in Australia. Absolutely. Presumably, burning fields has the same detriment effect to the wildlife around New Delhi in, in those uh, states. So there'll be an added benefit if that doesn't happen in that way. I'm sure that um, there are associated dangers with any kind of fire. And, and we're talking about major fires here. Like, you know, I think in 2019, they recorded around uh, 69,000 fires just within the first 10 days of November. So from November 1st to November 11th, 69,000 small fires. Of and they're fields. visible from space. Yes, that's right. So NASA technology just, you know, detected this from outer space. And that's how visible a problem it is. And it's also, the you know, when I spoke to the farmers, I also found a sense that, you know, they were little hurt by the accusations because these fires are so visible and because they're such a visible reminder of the pollution people tend to blame all of the pollution on their heads so they said we're not the ones causing the pollution it's actually emissions it's actually other things that yeah. that are causing it but you know we get blamed for it all the time because that's all people can see the fire <laughs> so last year was there a pilot project done and then this year 
they're going to try and get it out to as many farmers as humanly possible. And hopefully by November, there will be a literal meter reading of air pollution that you can say, no, this is this is working. That's what they're hoping for. That's what they're hoping for. But then again, it's also you have to understand that uh, the the pilot project is only in Punjab. It's only in a certain area of it. And um, all of the the existing pollutants in New Delhi still exist. You know, (laughs) we haven't adequately. I'm not saying that they haven't addressed it at all, but it hasn't been adequately addressed yet. So you know, it's it's going to be, you have to see, watch and see what kind of an impact this will have. But it will certainly have an impact across northern India. I feel like it will have a significant uh, impact on the pollution in other northern Indian states. What's really hopeful about this is the fact that the government, and, and this applies across the world, not just to India, but the fact that the government is looking for a solution mm-hmm. to a problem that is as you said, 10% of the contaminants in New Delhi will be from this this agricultural area. So at least they're tackling that, but that they're still making efforts to tackle all of the other things as well. That it isn't just, you know, we solve this and we solve everything. Of course, you know, it's only 10% of the, of the pollution. That's right. And th- there are so many pieces to this pollution jigsaw puzzle that, you know, just laying them all out and then you know, kind of identifying how to tackle each one is, is quite a task. Definitely is. And I looked around the world, actually, in preparation for talking to you, Kamala, to have a look and see what other cities are doing. And for example, Taiwan have got a huge number of mopeds and scooters and things that go Mm -hmm. around. So there's a huge push now to turn them into electric mopeds and scooters, because people talk about sitting in traffic and literally feeling like they're inhaling dirt because there are tens of thousands of scooters right in front of them. One of the problems is in a, in a city so densely populated and so small as that, you can't really set up charging stations. So what they've done is right. they've actually taken replaceable batteries. So what happens is you drive your, your moped and as it runs down, you open the seat, you take two batteries out and because you have a subscription, you can activate the wall of batteries, put your two in and two other ones pop out and you move on. It's, a, it's an ingenious system. Oh, that's fascinating. It's that kind of thinking, I think, that, you know, you need to look at each individual problem, find a solution. Right. Mexico City is another great example, actually, one of the most uh, congested cities in the world. They built motorways on top of motorways and obviously have huge concrete pillars that go along and support the, the roads above. So now they've wrapped those in wow. green vertical forests. And there are something like 60,000 vertical forestry growth in Mexico City now. And all of these small things add up to making the big differences. That's right. I think that um, you shouldn't take any solution lightly. Um, anything that addresses the problem is, is, is very welcome. Um, and I think that governments should explore more with different solutions, mm. um, that we should find different ways to tackle this. What is the population of the area that we're talking about? 18 million people in Delhi and in surrounding um, the NCR region uh, has about 28 million people. And do farmers uh, burn their land in other parts of India, or is it specifically in that area? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we don't have this problem down south, um, and there are reasons for that. Uh, down south, our temperature, our climate is a lot hotter, and so it isn't very conducive to growing wheat, which mm. requires a very temperate climate, so it requires about 15 degrees, and we've never seen 15 degrees, so our climate's more like hot, hotter, hotter. <laughs> North, North week, but from, the from the other yeah. side, yeah. We're, we're hoping to push to 15 in August. Oh, yeah. please God, we'll get yeah. there. There's going to be a party. <laughs> so, you know, we we don't have that problem because we don't grow wheat. So our farmers can take their time to clear their fields and to plant the next crop. And okay. um, they can do it manually, too. So it, it works. So, I mean, that's, I suppose that's one of the things as well that uh, Neil and I coming from a tiny island on the yeah. edge of Europe. Uh, this with, is a subcontinent we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we here. are yeah. talking about a country that spans such a huge geographical scale. You can't have a one-size-fits-all uh, solution. To absolutely, this. absolutely. And that's a, sim- a very similar to India as well. We do hope that this first season of it goes really well and that it leads to the uh, adoption of this seven fungi microbial wash. See, I did learn, Neil. Um, <laughs> and that, that, that's how they'll, uh, they'll rid themselves of the stubble and get ready for the wheat planting. Uh, Kamala, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. 
Welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? And a fascinating episode from Kamala there about the smog and pollution problems of the world's most polluted capital city, New Delhi. And as we learned, the surrounding areas as well, Neil, with 28 million people. Who could have known that mushrooms are going to solve the world's problems? (laughs) I mean, on the one side, I think it's amazing if this works. I I would worry about the loss of habitat for Smurfs. (laughs) That would be my main worry. She didn't get into it enough. No, there was the whole area that I think was, seems to be neglected in the study of all this. And she's from the University of Gargamel, is she? <laughs> <laughs> mm, no, yeah. she was, of course, swift to point out that uh, it's fungi and not yes, mushrooms. Yes, and not mushrooms. Absolutely. Yeah. I, will, I would like to take this opportunity to say that I hate mushrooms as a food source. I, uh, I test them on every level. They are the devil's food. We need to get out of uh, the fact that we eat these things is so ridiculous. You are beyond wrong. And I think I will really have to consider um, this podcast project based <laughs> on your hatred of. Cannot stand them. Really? Use them. Use them as a microbial wash. Absolutely. <laughs> but do not put them in a pan with some butter and go, want to eat this? We are doing a, fu- first of all, put anything in a pan with butter. I don't care whether it's asbestos. I'm eating this. <laughs> Mmm, this garlicky asbestos. Oh, all you need to do is bread, just bread asbestos. Roll yeah. it in some breadcrumbs, fry it in some butter. Nom, 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 nom. Uh, um, that's why Neil will not be around for season two. His heart will give out. And it's weird because the asbestos, garlic, mushrooms, and the microplastics mixed in his lungs, and he died. Um, we are going to do an episode, full episode on fungi, and I'm going to try and convince you because that what Kamala was saying is only the start of their uses. They're amazing. So I'll try and do one for season two. Okay. Fair. Let's not worry about season two. We need to worry about the next episode because I have just brought you uh, how fungi will solve some of the pollution problems in the most polluted city in the world. What are you going to do? Well, right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about some gigs I'm doing soon. Get the plug in. I'm doing the Garage Theatre in Monhen on June 24th. I'm doing the Raheen Woods Hotel in Athenry on June 25th. And I'm doing on Green On Theatre in Letterkenny on July 14th. But for next week, Dave, I'm going to tell you about a time when one bulb of a flower costs 20 times more than the annual wage of a skilled worker. (laughs) Now... I look forward to exploring that in great detail. Uh, this is Why Would You Tell Me That with me, Dave Moore, him, Neil Delamere. You'll find us on social media at Why Would You Tell Me That. Uh, he is at Neil Delamere Comedy on Instagram. I'm at Dave Today FM. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again next time. Dave, a moth is drinking my tears. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 